Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go. As we said yesterday in the introduction of the book, that even though this is attributed to Mark, who is also known in the New Testament as John Mark, John Mark became an attendant or a, a partner, uh, an assistant of sorts to Peter, Jesus' number one disciple, and he learned these things from Peter. And so some people consider this to be the gospel of Peter, but through John Mark. And I, I tend to think that that is accurate. So here we go. Chapter 2, verse 1. And again, he, Jesus, entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. They couldn't even get close. There were so many people. And he preached the word to them. Notice, Jesus who is the Son of God himself, did not just start talking out of his own heart or off the top of his head or, hey, do you know how I see it? Well, here's the way I look at it. No, he preached the word. And of course, the scriptures that they had back then were the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament scriptures, because the New Testament had not been written yet. And so he preached the Bible. He preached the word of God. Well, if Jesus did not just preach out of his own mind and his own heart, well, we certainly should not be teaching and preaching out of our, our mind, out of our own heart, or just out of somebody's book. We ought to be preaching and teaching God's word. And so it says about Jesus that these people gathered, there was a huge crowd, and he preached the word to them. Verse 3, then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. So here's a man paralyzed. Well, that takes faith for this man to let your friends drag you up to the roof, tear through the roof and let you down on this stretcher. Well, it goes on to say in verse five, when Jesus saw their faith. So in other words, going through all this instead of just saying, well, hey, there's a big crowd. We can't get there. Sorry. No, they believed that if they would keep pressing that this man, this this friend of theirs could be healed, maybe a relative of some of theirs. So it says when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven you. Isn't that interesting that Jesus brought up sin? Did you know that among other things, Sin is one of the things that keeps people from being healed. It's not the only thing, but it's one thing that can keep people from being healed. Like it says in the book of James, when in the 14th verse of the fifth chapter, the Bible says, if any are sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church and let them anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, those sins will be forgiven him. And then the 16th verse of James 5 says, confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And so it's clear there that sin 
is one of the, of the things that can block us from receiving the healing that God wants to bring to us. And it seems evident in this passage that this man did have some sins and that these sins likely were blocking the healing of God. So he comes to him and he can see that this man is allowing his friends to bring him before this man of God, this prophet of God. And so uh, when somebody is willing, I, I think that's why James says, if any are sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Instead of us just saying, we called for you. No, let him call. Because sometimes there's stuff going on in a person's heart and they don't really want to call for the elders of the church because, well, they've got stuff happening in their lives. But when you come to the place of humility where you realize, I need help, and you want to call for the elders of the church, like, likely that's a door for you to come clean and to want to also be forgiven from your sins. And then it removes that blockage, and then you can begin to receive what God has promised you. So he says to him, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Notice it doesn't say they said anything out loud. It said they were reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit, Notice he perceived in his spirit. He didn't automatically know their thoughts. A lot of people just think Jesus knew everything. No, when he became a man, Jesus relinquished divine abilities that he had always had for eternity past. One is omnipresence. He's no longer everywhere at once. He allowed himself to be confined to one physical human body to be in one location at a time. He also relinquished omnipotence. So that's why we don't see any miracles in the life of Jesus until the power of the Holy Spirit came upon him. And the Bible says in Luke's gospel, the fourth chapter, it says, then Jesus being filled with the Spirit was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then he returned from the temptation in the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Well, why would you need the power of the Spirit? Because he relinquished the power that he had as the Son of God to become a human being. Now, he didn't relinquish that he was the Son of God. He just relinquished the power and became dependent on God to empower him. And thankfully, God did. God poured out his Spirit upon Jesus and empowered him. Well, you can also see here, not only did he relinquish his omnipresence, not only did he relinquish his omnipotence, but he also relinquished his omniscience. In other words, Jesus relinquished the knowing everything about everything all at the same time. And so that's why it says here, and he perceived in his spirit what they were thinking. And what they were saying. This would be what, what 1 Corinthians 12 describes a word of knowledge. He has knowledge by the Holy Spirit that he could not have had uh, in with his natural mind. So, but immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power, that word uh, is often translated authority, on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. 
immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went out of the uh, went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, "We never saw anything like this." Wow! So notice, Jesus came not only to see people healed, but he wanted people to be forgiven from their sins, and this is important. He wanted to preach so that people would repent and be right with God to be saved, but he also wanted people to be healed. So notice now, verse 13, Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. Notice Jesus is not only a healer, he's a teacher. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. He wanted people to understand the kingdom of God. So he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, we also know him in another gospel as Matthew, who wrote the gospel of Matthew. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Verse 15, now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him, Pharisees were students of the Bible. They were teachers, religious students and teachers of the word of God. So they were more expert in the Bible. So it says, when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, uh, if you were really righteous, you should stay away from sinful people. And by the way, tax collectors were not uh, well respected among Jews because tax collectors were uh, I believe, from history, Jewish people who uh, sided, in a sense, with the Romans for gain. In other words, they played the role of collecting taxes for the Romans from their own brethren, from the Jewish people. And so the Jewish people really looked down on them like, you're helping the Romans to oppress us. Why would you do that and, you know, be in a, uh, a category and, and for really money? They were, they were gaining money and being wealthy as tax collectors because they worked on behalf of the Romans, extracting an unreasonable amount of tax. The Romans were very oppressive in terms of taxation with the Jews. And so these Pharisees and scribes want to, want to know, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? If you're a man of God, you wouldn't be doing that, in other words. So... Uh, Verse 16, and when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I want to reach these people. I want to love them. See, he is completely coming from a different a perspective, a, a different vantage point than the religious leaders of the day. Verse 18, the disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, why did the disciples of John, talking about John the Baptist, why did the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples 
do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wines burst the wineskins, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. So notice... He's answering the question, why did the disciples of John the Baptist fast and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples are not fasting? And Jesus said, well, I'm with them right now. In other words, the bridegroom is with those who will become the bride. And so they just need to learn from me and follow me and such. He said, but the days are coming when the bridegroom will be taken away. Of course, that's after Jesus dies, is raised from the dead, and ascends back to the Father. He said, and then they'll fast in those days. And then he says, you don't take an old garment and put a new cloth that has not shrunk on that old garment, because then when you wash it and that new patch shrinks, it'll make the tear even worse. And he said, and you don't put new wine into old wineskins because the wineskins will burst, the wine will be spilled, and both the wine and the wineskins are ruined. Well, he said, no, but you have to put the new wine in new wineskins. So in other words, Jesus is bringing some new wine, but he needs these disciples to be born again. He needs born again spirits to pour the new wine of the Holy Spirit inside of them. And then once they're born again, then they'll begin to do the things like fasting and prayer, being filled with the Spirit and ministering in the power of the Spirit. Once this new era comes and once they're born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain, which by the way, was allowed uh, in the law, the Bible says for the Jewish people, that if they walk through somebody's field, they can pluck grain and eat it, or they can pluck an orange or whatever, an apple, and they can eat that, but they can't get a bag or a bucket and take it with them. But if they just want to eat, that was uh, allowed by God in the law for them to function. In other words, you can't be stingy. Let, let people eat if they come by. But notice this. There were some additional laws that were put on uh, the Jews by the rabbis and by the Pharisees and such. They would write additional laws, which became traditions. And so notice it says here, and the Pharisees said to him, verse 24, look, why did they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Well, there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't pluck anything and eat it on the Sabbath. Now, you're not supposed to go out and harvest a field, but the Bible doesn't say you can't eat anything on the Sabbath. But this became a tradition that was written by human beings. So he says, why do you do, why do your disciples do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Verse 25, but he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the priest and ate the showbread 
which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And so, uh, and you know, David was not a priest. He was not from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah. And so he did not, he was not supposed to be eating the showbread of the priest. And yet he ate it and he was not condemned. And so Jesus is bringing this up in verse 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the son of man, talking about himself, is also Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is challenging these people. These people are used to having to keep the law and to keep the traditions of the rabbis and such from the from the Talmud. They had to keep these traditions of men. And Jesus is just blowing that out of the water and just teaching them the word of God and helping them to understand the heart of God and the word of God. All right, that's chapter two. I look forward to tomorrow, chapter three. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com slash give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.